So good morning, everybody, and I am so excited. I mean, first of all, that last song, wasn't that awesome? Worship team, that was so good. I was like, let's just keep playing that all day. I won't talk. We'll have lots of fun. That was really good. Um, so today we are continuing our march through the book of Acts, and this is really, I'm really excited that I get to preach this message because this is a pivot point. If you have a Bible with you, please turn to Acts chapter 10. We're going to be going through a lot of scripture quickly because we have a lot of ground to cover because I always, I always have this, uh, I get like a sack of an hour or 30, 40 minutes or whatever it is, and I just keep piling more in. So uh, at some point here, I'll have to talk less and, and read more and then move through it. But the important thing about this portion of Acts is that we are really seeing the pivot point where the ministry of Christianity is open to the entire world. It's not just limited to the people who were of the Jewish nation. So we saw last week, Tyler preached in chapter 9, that was when Paul, or Saul, was converted to Christianity. And in that, in that whole process, God said that he had chosen Paul as his messenger to the Gentiles. Well, now we're at the point where we're going to really see the church open up to the Gentiles. We've seen some things already where Philip was speaking, uh, preaching to an, an Ethiopian and there were a couple other things. Those are like the soft opening, right? This is the grand opening of to opening all of Christianity and opening the message of the gospel to people that are not just of the Jewish nation. And the person who's going to actually lead that charge is Peter. And I think that's appropriate that Peter is going to lead that charge. Peter's been the inconsistent disciple. Peter's been the bold one who sometimes then puts his foot in his mouth. Peter, but Peter's the one who's, kind, who's really the leader at this point. He, he's the one that preached the message in Acts chapter 2 with the first outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the first big mass conversion of people to Christianity. He's already been uh, praying and performing miracles. He's been in jail and all of these things have happened. So what you're going to see is this, Peter's key to this pivot and then you're going to see the narrative in the coming weeks shift more to Paul. Peter continues his ministry, but the focus of the, of the book of Acts is really going to shift to Paul and his ministry to the rest of the world, okay? And so as we talk about this with, with Peter specifically, we have to recognize that the thing that you're going to see in chapter 10 in particular is earth-shattering. In their world, in their context, in their culture, and the things that happened here were literally like uh, they were... They were Almost, they were unfathomable for many, many of the people. Peter's courage and his belief in God is what, is what got him to take this step. And so I'm not going to read every scripture because it's just too much text, but we're going to begin with, in, in the first six verses, first six verses of chapter 10, we learn that there's this man whose name is Cornelius. He's a centurion of the Italian cohort. What does that mean? That means he is not a Jew. He is from Italy. He is a Roman leader. He is a Roman soldier. He is the bad guy for that mindset for the, the people that we're dealing with, okay? But he was devout. He believed in God. He believed in God as he understood him at that time. And as you'll see later in the chapter, although we might not get to it, he, he, he believed in God and he was also understanding something of what was going on with Jesus, but he needed to know more. So he has this vision and God tells him, he says, you're going to go, your, your prayers and your alms have come to me. I'm listening to you, okay? And then God goes on to say, send men to Joppa and bring Simon Peter. He's lodged with another man named Simon. Lots of Simons in the early first half of Acts. 
whose house is by the sea. Now, what had happened at the end of the last chapter is as Peter had been at one city and he had prayed for and a man who uh, was, was paralyzed was walking. And then people brought him to uh, Joppa and they asked him to pray for a woman named Dorcas who had died. And Peter prayed for her and she was raised to life. So Peter is not only performing a lot of miracles or the Holy Spirit's performing them through him and he's very well known and famous, but he's also continuing this ministry and he has just taken a little bit of time to rest. So Cornelius has his plan and he sends people to look for Peter. Peter... The next day, Peter is, is actually in Joppa at this house of Simon the Tanner, and he goes up the midday to pray. He's waiting for lunch to start. And while he's praying, he falls into a trance, and that's not a trance of like, I'm so hungry, I'm going to collapse like your kids do sometimes when it's five years old and lunch is five minutes late. This is a trance that's brought on by the Holy Spirit. And in the trance, he sees this great sheet descending from heaven, and what is on this sheet? This is quite interesting. All kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, which we're going to talk about in more detail here, but they're, they're things that he is not permitted to eat under the Jewish law, okay? So we're going to look back at, at what, in more detail what those are. But for now, he knows and he immediately recognizes he is not allowed to eat these things. But the voice says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And he's thinking, well, that's weird. And he says, I can't. I've never eaten anything that's common or unclean. And the voice says again, what God has declared clean or made clean, do not call common. Okay? So there's two words here, unclean and common. And there's derivatives of what they mean. But common actually means unsanctified, unholy, and profane. Okay? It's actually the same word that is used at one point to describe Esau. Remember Jacob and Esau, the brothers? And God says, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Esau is referred to as profane or common, meaning he did not actually enter into sanctification and holiness with God, okay? Just kind of a side note. But he's saying, don't call these things unclean. I've made them clean. This happens three times. Peter, if you remember, he tends to experience things in triplicate with God. He denies Jesus three times. And then when Jesus uh, brings him back after, after Jesus rises again and he's talking to Peter, he says, do you love my sheep? And he asks him three times and he says, go and serve them. So three times this message comes to Peter. Peter is inwardly perplexed as to what this vision might mean. This is in verse 17. And while he's still pondering this, the men from Cornelius come and they stand at the gate and they call out and they say, hey. And now the Holy Spirit says, these three men are looking for you. Go with them without hesitation for I've sent them. So there is a lot going on right here in in these couple verses. Let's back up a second. Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean. We have to understand that at this point, Peter is practiced in hearing from the Holy Spirit, okay? So he, he knows this is from God. That's not the question. The question is, how in the world can this be given the background of everything he knows about God at this point? But then, look at what the Spirit says. Go down and accompany them without hesitation. Peter knows immediately when these three men come that they're not Jews, that they are Romans and that he shouldn't be hanging around with them. 
But the Spirit says, go immediately without hesitation, for I've sent them. So to understand all the wheels turning in Peter's mind at this point, we have to take a little ride. Who can tell me what that is? Who is what is that thing? It's the Wayback Machine from Mr. Peabody and Sherman. So they've got to travel back in time, and we're going to go all the way back to Genesis, because we got to understand what's going on in Peter's mind at this point. So in Genesis chapter 17, Abram receives a promise from God. This is called the Abrahamic Covenant, okay? And in this, God is saying, I am going to bless all nations of the world through you. Your people, this is before he even has a son. Your people, uh, I'm going to multiply you greatly, meaning I'm going to give you many children. And he says, you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. And then God changes his name from Abram to Abraham. And then he says, nations and kings will come out of you. And then look at verse 7. And he says, oh, so a covenant between you and all the people. I'm looking for the spot here. Uh, did I skip it? I had like this great zinger verse here and I was going to show it to you. All right, so we're, we're going to get to it in a second. But he says, out of you, not only will I bring nations and kings and multitudes of people, the man who doesn't have a child yet, and he's very old. But then he says, all nations of the world will be blessed from your offspring, okay? And so that covenant of Abraham is, is the covenant that's based on faith. He says he, he believed, he had faith in God, and God accounted to him for righteousness, okay? This is way, way back at the beginning. This is before Moses, before we've gone to Egypt, before we have the law, the Ten Commandments, the Ark of the Covenant. None of that stuff has happened yet. You've got to go way back in time to the first relationship of, of the people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the people of righteousness with God, and it's established by faith. Faith alone. God's blessing upon Abraham because Abraham believed in him and walked with him, okay? And then we go on a little bit farther, and we get to uh, the sign of circumcision, and that's where I think we're at right now, Verses, verse 19, or verse 9. And so he says, I, I'm going to have a sign. We're going to have a covenant, an agreement, a binding, uh, unbreakable agreement between us. And we're going to have a sign of that covenant. And the sign of the covenant is, you're going to love this, Abraham, circumcision. <laughs> well, what's circumcision? Well, you got to, and he goes, you want me to cut what? <laughs> Can we pick something else? <laughs> but God says, nope, that's what we're doing. And so circumcision is physical uh, on all males, that you cut the, the foreskin uh, of the male, and I can explain it to you more privately if you want more details, you can Google it. <laughs> but every male among you will be circumcised, and you got to do this. This is fundamental, right? And it's, that, is, that is not what makes you perfect, but it is the sign of the covenant between you, okay? So let's say you have a contract. They used to do this contract between two people, and they had to have something, something that was the sign of the covenant. And if it was a land contract, it was a clod of dirt many times. I'm giving you this clod of dirt. The dirt isn't the contract. The contract is maybe that couple acres over there, but the, the, the sign of the covenant may be this clod of dirt. There may be different things that you do. The, the, the sign 
that we're still following the agreement with God is circumcise every male. But then we run into a little problem here, don't we? Well, you run into a little problem. Oh, okay, here, now we go. This is the... Um, I'm going to skip all that. This is the promise that he continues. He says, a little bit farther down the line, Abraham has a son named Isaac, and he's his, his promised heir. And then God says, I want you to sacrifice him. So he takes him up on this mountain, and then right before the sacrifice, God says, stop. And he says, you've shown me that you're going to follow me, even to trusting me with the life of your, your son. So... Uh, I'm going to not only, you're not going to sacrifice your son, I'm going to provide this other animal in its place, which is prophetic about Jesus. But then he says, this is now a continuation of the the kind of round two of the promise with you. He says, I will bless you, multiply you, and your offspring as the stars of the heaven. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And he's speaking about salvation coming to all the world from someone that's a descendant of Abraham, and that's Jesus Christ. So this is all in Peter's mind. He's, he's pondering this vision. There's Romans at the gate. He knows all this stuff that I just told you, right? And then he knows the next part in Leviticus, okay? We've got back in the machine. We've moved forward uh, some years, and now we're into a Levit- Leviticus chapter 11. This is God laying down the law for the people of Israel through Moses, through Aaron, uh, his brother, the great high priest, and they have not gone to the promised land. They're still wandering around in the desert, and God says, okay, there are certain things you cannot eat, and I'm not going to go through this list. I'll tell you it's a long list. Go to Le- Leviticus chapter 11. Look at that whole chapter. Some birds you can, some birds you can't. Some mammals you can, some mammals you can't. You have a cloven hoof, and they got to have a, they're eating, chewing their cud, so they got to be a ruminant. And there's all these rules. And the ones that don't fall in that category, you can't eat. There are certain bugs you can eat. You can eat grasshoppers, by the way, but you can't eat other bugs, okay? You have to follow this, he says. And if you don't follow it, you're not going to be clean. Why is that? Go to the end of chapter 11. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore. Be holy. Do not defile yourself with all these things. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You, shall, you therefore, shall be holy, for I am holy. And to show that he really means it, he goes on to say more at another place, and he says, you've got to understand the difference between these different animals, okay? What you can eat and what you can't eat. And he says, also separate yourself from those other people, okay? You've got eat certain things, don't eat certain things as part of the holiness uh, arrangement of the law that I'm putting upon you, and separate yourself from people that are going to lead you astray. So in Leviticus chapter 20, he says, I've separated you from these people, okay? And then he goes on to say, okay, these are all tied together. You're going to you're going to keep yourself uh, clean by avoiding bad different animals, and then you're going to separate yourself from the peoples, and then he says, I've chosen you to be the people, to be a treasured possession out of all the people on earth, okay? And go into Deuteronomy. He means it so much, he says it a second time. Deuteronomy is the summation of the law and the journey, and this is Moses' commandment to the people because he's getting ready to die, so he repeats everything. He says, when, when we, remember what he said, when you go into the promised land and you take possession of it, don't associate with all those bad people. 
and to feed them. I'm going to skip all this, but don't intermarry with them. Don't, because they will turn you away and you will then follow a different God. Because you are a people holy to the Lord. You're the treasured possession. This is the people of Israel. I mean, think about this. If the God of all gods is telling you this, you're like, this is exciting. We are the treasured people. We got to follow these rules. And so he finishes in Deuteronomy um, chapter 7 about you're the chosen people. But then look at this. Look at what Moses says next. He says, it's not because you're better than anybody. It's because my grace, I decided to pick you to show myself mighty through you. And then he says, I did all these things on your behalf to to show you that I'm mighty and show the world that I'm mighty. And then he says, but it's not just about what Abraham was taught. Circumcise your body. I I want you to circumcise your heart. I want you to put a sign in your heart of the covenant between God and his people. And what's the sign in your heart? It's faith. It's faith in God, right? That's really what Moses is saying is the important thing. Moses, the guy who understands the law from stem to stern, Moses had a relationship of faith with with God, and that's where his, his righteousness came from, Okay. And then, and then he says, love the sojourner, right? Even though we are, uh, even though you have to be separated from people, if someone's traveling, you have to take care of them. So there's, this, there's throughout all the Bible, there's law and grace. And then what God uses the law too is to bring people to the point where they understand they can't be perfect and they need faith in, in the Lord and they need his grace for righteousness. And then we fast forward to Jeremiah, the prophet, one of the great prophets of the Bible. And he says, there's a new covenant coming, a covenant based on faith, based on righteousness with him, not about the law, but about knowing God personally. The days are coming, Jeremiah says in chapter 31, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the old covenant with all the sacrifices and the rules, but it's a covenant that says, what? I will put my law within them, in their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. It will no longer saying, you need to know the Lord. Rather, it will be, you will be able to know the Lord. You will have access to God. You will understand through the Holy Spirit who he is and his righteousness and his plan for goodness for you. That's the future covenant. And he says, I will no longer remember your sin. Your sin will be will be disappeared. Well, guess what that covenant is? That's the covenant of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus brought and fulfilled when he was, when he was a sacrifice for all. And if you really want to get deep into understanding this, read the entire book of Hebrews. Because that lays it out. That was written to the people of Israel who were Christians who were saying, I don't understand the old system and the new system and how we do this. And, and so he laid it all out through the entire Bible about how the relationship with God has always been from the very beginning, faith in him and acceptance of his righteousness because we can never be good enough. All this is going through Peter's mind when he's pondering that vision because he knows all this stuff, okay? And he's pondering all this and what's he, what's he decide to do? He decides to obey God. So we go back to Acts chapter 10. Peter takes, goes with the messengers, and he goes to the house of Cornelius. And when he enters, Cornelius has a whole bunch of friends and guests because he's like, the big man's coming. We're all going to be here. In fact, they get down and try and worship him, and Peter says, stand up. I'm a man just like you. And then he says, 
uh, he says, you know, he, Peter's telling them, you know it's unlawful for me to be associated with you. You people. And he meant it when he said you people. But God showed me, look at this, God showed me I could not call any person common or unclean if, in fact, God has declared them king. So I came here without objection. What do you want? And they, they said, tell us, tell us about God. We want to know about God. And so Peter goes on and he, he says, I understand God shows no partiality in any nation. Anyone who fears him and does what, does what is right is acceptable to him. This right here, this whole exchange is why we're here today as followers of Jesus Christ. This, this is not a tiny little uh, religion that's confined to just a select group of people. That whole, consecrate yourselves and you're my chosen people. That is now, Jesus opened the way so that we are all, we have the opportunity to be his chosen people. Because Peter did this. Peter followed and did what God told him to. So Peter goes on and he begins explaining that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Redeemer. He begins to explain how uh, that God's word was fulfilled from the Old Testament through Jesus. Wow, did it like record that? Wow, good water. Good water. While he's preaching, the Holy Spirit falls on them. So I would, I would ask you to just think about that for a minute. We've been, we've been teaching about salvation in Jesus Christ. We've been teaching about water baptism, and we've been teaching about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things, we haven't gone into it in great deal, in, in as much detail as we might in future studies, but one of the things that we know is that baptism in the Holy Spirit upon somebody is a sign that they are a believer in Jesus Christ. And let me, let me make sure we don't get these confused. If someone is a, is a believer in Jesus Christ and they're not yet baptized with the Holy Spirit, that doesn't mean you're not, a, you're not, belie- you're not, a, uh, you're not saved, right? Because they, they, don't, they don't necessarily, one doesn't have to have the other. But if they are baptized with the Holy Spirit and it came upon them, that indicates to me that as Peter was speaking to them, they believed in their heart. And God knew they believed in their heart. And that second, when they believed in their heart that Jesus was the Son of God, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. It doesn't have to be a big fancy ceremony. It might. I mean, there, there are times when it may be ceremonial. There are times when it may happen. And, and He, the Holy Spirit, may, may uh, and fall on people and may baptize people in, in different ways. Or it's actually Jesus baptizing us in the Holy Spirit. But the thing that's interesting here is that it says, while Peter was still speaking, he is still talking to them about the hope of Jesus Christ and, about, and the Holy Spirit falls upon them. I think that means that they believed in their heart and God looks into our hearts. He looks into our spirits. He looks into our souls at that moment and says, you're my child. Let me give you some more. Let me give you another blessing. And that's what happened. And so when this happened, and Peter wasn't alone. He brought this whole posse of people with him, right? That were helping him with the ministry, or maybe they're just observing because you never know what's going to happen with Peter. Let's, let's go along and watch the show. He turns to them. So these, when he says, when he says Peter, the, believers, the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. So Peter is here. He's got this group of people that are Christians who 
are Jewish because they were circumcised. They're with him. They're amazed because the, goal, the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Up to this point, they still have the mindset, this is just for us. We are the chosen people. It's just for us. Just it, meaning the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't an it, it's a he. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it, he, he, a lot of pronouns jumping around here. They're amazed. And so, they're not only, now they begin praising God in other languages. And Peter says, hey, can we refuse to baptize them in water given what we just saw? God chose them. Who are we to say no? You're not good enough to be water baptized. And so they were. He says, baptize them in the name of, of uh, Jesus Christ. So you have three. There's three baptisms. There's really four. The first one, I've preached on this a long time ago. The first baptism is, is the baptism of John. And that's not a baptism of salvation, but that was John baptizing people uh, to bring them to a place of repentance and readiness for Jesus Christ who is coming after. He said, that's my, mo- my whole mission. My whole mission is to come and prepare the people of Israel for the one who's coming after. But then you have the baptism in the blood of Jesus Christ. That is your salvation. And the Bible says actually that the Holy Spirit draws us to him in our, in our spirit for that to happen. And then you have the baptism in water and then you have the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And we can, we'll, we'll talk about those more. In, but really at this point what you see is you really see all three happening almost, not quite simultaneously, but in pretty close succession. When that happens in their heart, that they believe in Jesus Christ, that is baptism in the blood of Jesus Christ. That is a, that is a this person and God and no one else even has to be in that conversation, okay? And then, when that happened, God baptized them in the Holy Spirit. And then shortly thereafter, Peter says, let's go dunk them in the water. So then Peter goes back to Jerusalem. And he immediately starts catching some flack, doesn't he? The circumcision party criticized him. Can you imagine that fundraising drive? Join the circumcision party. We are the circumcision party. Wasn't there, there was an old song. Okay, we're going to go way back on old, Christ, uh, old, old worship songs. No. We are the circumcision. Is that how it went? Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah, I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> I need five men up here, and we're going to do this together. So, all right, anyway. They're not happy with Peter. They said, what are you doing hanging around with those people? right? Why is that? It's not that they're bad people. It's that the, this has been an earth-shaking development for them. All that stuff I showed you about Abraham and Moses and Jeremiah, they all knew that stuff. They knew their scripture. And they thought this is just one more awesome thing that's reserved for God's chosen people, the people of Israel. And so what are you doing associating with those Romans, those Gentiles, those sinners, those unchosen people? And even if, okay, even if, because there's already been some people that are, that are non-Jewish who've been, who've been uh, you know, blessed and everything. Uh, even if that's okay to let them in, they have to get circumcised first. They have to become clean first. Because I didn't show you all those rules in Leviticus that says, if you're unclean, no one associates with you right away. It has to be, you know, until the next day, and you got to wash yourself, and you do all these things. So even if there's uncleanness, which happens, you pick up a dead body, you're unclean. You, uh, there's a number of things that can happen. 
don't associate with that person until they're clean again. There was, a, there was a, a famous family that wanted to marry into Abraham's family, or I guess it was Jacob's family, and they said, okay, but before the wedding, you all have to get circumcised. Like, we, we might agree, but you first have to become like us. And then after the man got circumcised, they went in and killed them all. Because it's, anyway. <laughs> it's like, there's volumes of here, things I'm not talking. Anyway, so what are you doing hanging out with these people? And Peter says, all right, there I was. Here's what happened. And Peter tells them the whole story. So what do they say? He says, I remember the word of the Lord. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Guess what? These people were baptized with the Holy Spirit. If God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? All right? God did this thing. I can't undo it. And when they heard these things, these are, these are, so these are Jewish people who are Christians now who are trying to follow God. They're critical of Peter because they think he's not doing it right. But when they heard these things, it says they fell silent. And they said, okay, God has apparently also granted repentance that leads to life. They still understand what the bottom line is. The bottom line isn't just the the experience. The bottom line isn't just who's in the club. They understand it's God granting repentance that leads to eternal life. And so they said, okay, we're going to follow God. Let's contrast that attitude for a moment with Going back to Acts chapter 4, the Hebrew council that is trying to put a stop to the Christian church as its first beginning. The, the, these, this is the Jewish council. They saw the boldness of Peter John. They perceived they were uneducated men. They were astonished. They recognized they'd been with Jesus. They also saw a man in their presence who had been healed. They couldn't say anything against it, right? They... Their hearts were changed. They followed Jesus. No, no, no. Their hearts were hardened. What happened next? They said, what are we going to do with these guys? This notable sign has been performed. It's an evidence to everybody. We can't deny it. But they still refused to believe. They said, so that it doesn't spread further to any people, let's warn them to speak no more about this matter. Don't let anyone else get healed. That would wreck our racket. Don't let anyone else find true salvation. That would stop our uh, control over them. So we'll just, we'll just deny that a miracle happened, though we can't deny it. We see it. We don't want to actually tap into this life-giving force and belief. We're just going to try and tamp it down. That was what they were fighting against, this entrenched system of man that said, don't let the power and life of God spread. Let's try and, let's try and kill it. That's different than what these believers did in response to Peter. But you'll see this issue is going to come, out, come up again and again. The, the, how we, how we you know, live, what rules we follow, what rules we don't follow. There's going to be pressure on Peter in the future. Sometimes he caves to it, and, and we'll, we'll cover that in the future. But for the time being, I just this contrast between what Peter and these believers did compared to the Jewish council that was trying to suppress the truth and the miracles is, is really astounding. So then that's the completion of Peter's leadership of bringing uh, Gentiles into the church and really opening the gospel uh, to non-Jews, okay? That's an amazing event. I really believe Peter's the one that had to lead it. 
Paul takes it from there, but think about the fact that Paul was the guy who had been killing everybody. He was the Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was newly converted. Even, even after he was converted, people were suspicious of him. Paul or Barnabas had to actually take him and speak on his behalf for him to be accepted. So if Paul had done this, I think it would have been a total flop. They, people would have still said, that's that crazy man, Paul. He's trying to kill Christianity through some other means. This is just a real clever secret agent subterfuge. But because Peter led it, a man with, with no guile, sometimes not knowing no tact either, but no guile, he and a lot of courage, he did follow the Spirit, and he, he, he opened this up. This is the turning point. And so then we finish chapter 11, and this is kind of a teaser for, for great things that are to come. Barnabas, this older man in the Lord, went to Tarsus and grabbed Saul, and they went with him to Antioch because there was a movement of God in Antioch. And then they went there, and they began teaching, and they began working together, and the disciples were first called Christians. And so what you're going to see now as we, as we tra- make this transition, Peter's narrative is just about over. You're going to see a couple more things that he does, uh, and then we're going to shift to Paul. And I think it was help. I think Luke, you know, Paul was helped a lot by Luke being his his uh, accompaniment on a lot of these journeys. And and then most of the ministry of the the epistles or the letters of the New Testament are going to come from Paul. One thing that you might look at, and I don't know that we're going to be able to get to it in depth, but there's a relationship that you see between Paul and a few different people throughout this ministry. First, there's Paul and Barnabas here. Barnabas is an older man in the Lord who brings Paul along in his early ministry and helps him out. They hit a point when they just cannot agree on something. And so they actually part ways. They don't leave the church. They don't kill each other. They whatever. They just say, we're going to part ways. And then they both continue their ministry in other places with, with other people. But there's a mentor-guide relationship there. For early Christians, that's essential. If you're a young Christian and you're new in your walk with God and you're struggling, you need a Barnabas in your life. You need someone that's going to grab on and guide you through things. And then you see later, you see a man named Silas. And Silas is probably around the same age as Paul, and they have great um, uh, effect and spiritual leadership together. And they're really a team that are stronger because they're together. And then you have a, a, someone later named Timothy, and Timothy is a younger man. And so Paul is doing kind of what Barnabas did to him. He's bringing up a younger person and teaching him and mentoring him and uh, empowering him and actually putting the apostolic call on him that you are called. So if you're a Christian who is working in the ministry, it, it, you're much more effective if you're working together with someone that is your, your equal or someone that is close to your equal so you can support each other. And if you're a mature Christian, you need to find yourself a Timothy. You need to mentor, you need to lay hands on, you need to support and empower other people that are coming up. And that's an interesting dynamic you see over the course of the book of Acts, the rest of Acts, and you see in a lot of the epistles and letters from Paul, is you see that dynamic with those different, those different men, and, or it could be women if, you're, you know, if, if that's, you know, obviously back then it wasn't. You couldn't do a man-woman traveling circus unless they were married. But th- that pattern is a pattern for effective discipleship, defective leadership, and effective, de- effective development uh, of the next generation of leaders. And I really think that's a striking thing that you see from Paul. So kind of wrapping this up now and, uh, and kind of reflecting on today, think back to what J.R. said when we were in worship. He, he said, let's remember 
the magnitude of what Christ has done for us. That salvation in the blood of Jesus Christ has wiped away our sins. That's, that's an amazing, amazing thing. It's available to us not only because Jesus died on the cross and rose from the, ga- the grave, but it's also available to us because of the, the courage and the, uh, the willingness to follow the Holy Spirit. Peter and, and Paul came after him. They opened the way for all of us, not just a select few. Well, if that's you today, if you're going, you know, the way's open to me, but I've never taken it. That, that moment is here. That moment is here where you can, as the song said, he called my name and I ran out of that grave. Today, he's calling your name. You can answer that. You can run out of that grave. In just a moment, we're going to have a prayer team right over here. And the prayer team is here for you. And the, the, they're here to, to pray with you to speak with you, to answer your questions, to lay hands on you, to encourage you, that that amazing series of transactions that happened, going all the way back to Abraham, all the promise that God gave to Abraham can be fulfilled in your life today in just a few moments. And all the way back to the courage of Peter and the other disciples to open that and spread that message to all of us. That's why I'm here. And if you haven't yet said yes to Jesus, that's why you're here. You're here today to hear that invitation, to answer that call, to run out of that grave, and to receive that amazing salvation that Jesus Christ has given to us. So let's pray, and then we're going to wrap up. Thank you, God, for the courage of Peter. Thank you, God, for the Holy Spirit, that you, have, that you helped him understand your life-giving message, your life-giving ways. Thank you for the path that you, that you charted for us in your word, in your Bible. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for speaking and calling to each one of us in our moment of inquiry, our moment of searching. God, I ask if there's anyone that's in that moment of searching and that inquiry right now, Holy Spirit, speak to them, draw them here. And if you're there, if you're in this room and you're listening to this and you're saying, I want that answer to those questions that I've never, ever been able to puzzle out, this is your moment. I would ask you to just respond. You can come do it quietly and uh, we will be supportive and excited for you. I thank you, Lord God, for your people and for your word and for your future that you've given to every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.